Testing, testing. Everybody can hear me okay? All right. <clears throat> yep. So yep. we're going to do a, um, an education session from 9.30 to 10.30, and then the regular meeting will start immediately following the, the education session. Um, but I think you guys still need to call to order and, and all that, and I'll reflect okay. in the meeting minutes that there's an education session. Okay. Since there's more than one trustee present. Perfect. Call to order the General Employee Pension Board. It's Monday, March 13th, 2023, 933 a.m. Uh, roll call, please. Bridget Vassier? Here. Brenda DeWeese? Here. Delaina Talley? Here. All right, we do have a quorum with three trustees present. All right. And we'll start with an education session. Bonnie? Yes. And Frank? Just yep. Yeah, I'm just testing sound. How Everybody can hear okay? I can hear them okay. Let's, okay, great. All right, you guys can get started with the education session. Frank, do you want to go first? Sure. Or I can, um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, so happy to go first. And, and Bonnie and I will actually talk about a similar subject. Um, and Katie and I will focus our efforts on the defined contribution side, uh, while Bonnie speaks to the defined benefit changes related to Secure Act 2.0. Um, so, on December 29th of this past year, President Biden signed into law uh, something called the Secure Act. It's been in the works for the last years, and it's actually a follow-up to something that had passed in 2019, known as Secure Act 1.0. Uh, so if you remember, under Secure Act 1.0, uh, you know, the retirement age, requirement minimum distribution age, increased from 70 to 72. And this year, following the Secure Act 2.0, uh, it will be 73. Uh, interestingly enough, there are some unique changes uh, that will be happening for the defined contribution plan specifically. And uh, I'll, I'll talk through some, and then I'll ask, uh, Katie to really step in and share a few more as well. Uh, so the first, uh, it's uh, known as the first day of the month rule. Uh, so this is a fairly uh, uh, non-important issue that was passed, but administratively it should help uh, the city. Uh, so the first month rule says uh, when an employee makes a change on their deferred compensation, uh, yeah, deferral, so let's say that employee wants to change their contribution from uh, $100 to $150 in their 457 plan, you couldn't necessarily make that change until the following month. So oftentimes, many employees have to wait two to three, four weeks uh, in order for that to be reflected in their payroll steps. Uh, so again, this has changed to allow employers to make all deferral changes, not, not having to wait. Uh, into the first of the month. So that was uh, 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 kind of the small small one. Um, as we move up the priority list, under the, the 401-457 world, you're now allowed to utilize incentives to help your employees establish accounts or save money. Uh, so, for example, you could buy um, gift cards to Panera Bread, and uh, that can be incentive to encourage young employees to save and, and establish a 457 account. Uh, so so uh, really that was not an option in the past given the kind of the 
small monetary means maybe associated with it, uh, but now employers are, are uh, uh, will have the flexibility or the availability uh, to utilize some incentives, whether that may be gift cards, whether that may be uh, luncheons, uh, just to encourage uh, earlier uh, and more savings in their retirement plan. Uh, then third, as we move up the priority list, uh, there are something called emergency savings accounts. Uh, so effective next year, um, I would imagine that your record keeper, in this case I think is Mission Square, would come back with a change in their adoption agreement uh, where you could, as an employer, allow your employees to establish a savings account where employees have more flexibility to access their monies. Uh, historically, many employees uh, were, were discouraged from using their retirement accounts because they weren't able to take any money out before retirement age. Uh, but now, under this emergency savings rule, every employee will have the ability, so choose by the employer to, to offer this as an option, uh, a limit of up to $2,500 a year that employees can save towards something called the emergency savings and that particular bucket will have a great amount of flexibility. Um, and then as we move up, again, the priority list here, uh, something unique is going to change related to the catch-up provision. Um, so some of you may know that the current catch-up allows for $5,000 of additional savings for those who are age 50 or higher. Um, under this, this new rule effective next year, um, there's a caveat. The caveat is then um, if you make over $145,000, that catch-up must be in a form of a Roth. Uh, so what does this mean to employers? Employers must really have a Roth component in their plan. So if you don't have a Roth 457, you will need to implement one. Um, but two, the employers will need to start tracking individuals who have made over $145,000. Uh, and then further making sure that those catch-up contributions that employees undertake uh, is in a form of a raw effective January 1 of 2024. Um, so that, that is important. Um, I will say that under the governmental 457, um, there is something called a special catch-up where employees are allowed to save twice the annual limits three years before retirement. Um, and, and that single provision is the current loophole where employees are not forced into this uh, uh, Roth catch-up uh, requirement. Uh, so for, for some of your employees um, that may be looking to catch up or, or uh, you know, uh, if, if you offer sick and vacation time and they may accumulate quite a bit, um, again, those employees could avoid the Roth uh, provisions if they elect something called the special governmental catch-up. Uh, so, so again, it creates uh, this whole catch-up provision has created a bit of a uh, administrative burden for employers because now you're forced to kind of catch uh, uh, to uh, to administer and, and keep up keeping up with with uh, some of these payroll stats as as we move forward. Um, so, so there are you know several others, and I'll be glad to let Katie chime in. Uh, she actually wrote a, a bit of a white paper for our firm um, and just to make sure that I didn't miss any, any of the major provisions. Yes, we need to make sure. Okay. 
One second. We're just getting the microphone ready, Frank. Okay. Katie's well, we're all all ready to go and raring to go. She's just waiting for the microphone. for a Monday morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a time espresso. change. I know. I honestly did not realize there was a time change until I woke up yesterday morning. And I was like, why is this an hour back? Time change. Um, anyways, thank you for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, just to follow up a little bit on one point Frank already touched on as far as the RMD contributions go. Um, so it does move from 72 to 73 as far as required age. Um, and I wasn't sure if I caught this or not, but in 2033, the age has stepped up to 75. Um, so that's definitely something to be aware of. Um, as far as other provisions that Security 2.0 had to offer, um, one of the provisions I think that are important to mention is that the excise tax for failing to take your first RMD on time, which is currently 50%, drops to 25% or 10%. So it would be 10% if you catch the lack of or ability or failure to take your um, contribution on time. It's 10% if you catch it. But if the IRS catches up to you and says, hey, didn't catch it on time, it's going to be 25%. Um, so that's definitely something important to be aware of and kind of a win because more money in your pocket even if you do forget. Um, anyways, going forward, um, so Frank touched a little bit on the emergency savings provision. Um, in addition to being able to offer the savings account, there's also a provision that allows for one distribution of $1,000 per calendar year um, for an unforeseen emergency. Um, and whether that's family related, personally related, whatever the matter may be, it's allowed. Um, the only caveat to that rule would be you have to replenish the $1,000 before you can take another distribution. That or allow three years to pass. So it's either you put the $1,000 in within three years, or if you fail to do so, you can't take another distribution of $1,000 for three years from the date that the funds are withdrawn. Um, one more provision um, that I don't know if Frank touched on, but starting effective January 1st, 2025, um, participants age 60 to 63 can make larger catch-up contributions. Um, so it raises it from the current, I believe it's um, as of 2023, and Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, um, including the $1,000 catch-up, it's $7,500. Um, but it raises it to $10,000 or 150% of the regular catch-up contribution, whichever is the greater of the two. Um, and this specifically affects 401 plans, 401k plans, pardon me, 403Bs, and government plans. Um, and that was... The most important ones I had down. Um, Frank, if there's anything you think I'm missing or anyone has any questions. Yeah, so, so there's one other. It's called um, um, Disaster Relief Emergency um, for events post-January 26th of 2021. Um, the IRS will allow employees immediately to withdraw up to $22,000 so long as the disaster event uh, is has occurred in a, in a FEMA uh, declared area. Um, so going forward, again, if you want to offer this option as an employee, um, I would imagine Mission Square would provide this provision. 
where, again, your employees could access their monies sooner than later under this disaster relief uh, uh, qualification for up to $22,000 without any pre-retirement penalties. Um, you know, a lot of these, I will say that, um, will come in different phases. So it, we, we hear Katie and I talk, some of them will occur immediately, some of them has, will go into effect in 2024, and then some will go into effect in 2025. Um, so at the moment, Mission Square is working on these changes to be able to share, but they're doing so in phases. So I would imagine that they would come back or would come back to us or come to you uh, with the initial set of papers for you to consider adoption uh, for your defined contribution or deferred compensation plans uh, in the coming months fairly quickly. Right. Well, so I'm going to follow up on that if you're finished, Frank. Yeah, please. So uh, there's no questions. Happy to pass the mic over to Bonnie. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Katie. So, um, you know, I, I know Frank started off with, you know, these are uh, changes that are building on what we call the SECURE Act, um, and this is the SECURE Act 2.0. Um, but I think importantly, um, you know, so it's recognized, this, this particular bill has recognized a lot of issues that we've had with, with savings, you know, really kind of this conversion from um, most people having a defined benefit program, um, you know, money that uh, comes to them every month for the rest of their life like you have in your plan, um, and, and converting really to a world where most people have to save all of their money towards retirement. Um, and so it's recognizing, you know, that people are, um, you know, working longer, people are living longer, um, people have issues that they confront, and, and largely now um, most of their savings money is tied up in, in money that, uh, that they're saving towards retirement. So, it, you know, it, it really covers a, a really broad base of, of changes that they're making um, you know, recognizing flexibility, um, recognizing that the tax law and the, and the retirement law is difficult. I know Katie mentioned to you um, the, the change in the penalty for failing to do the required minimum distributions appropriately. Um, you know, I think that's one of the laws where they're recognizing the changeover from the defined benefit world to the defined contribution world, where, where more people are having to manage that um, required minimum distribution age. And, and it's hard. I mean, it re it's really difficult. I know that, you know, those of us who work in this world, so, you know, those of us who, who have to administer those required minimum distributions, um, we, it's hard for us, you know, and we know the law. And so individual people, you know, have to make those distributions from their IRAs. Um, they have to make sure that they're taking them appropriately from, from all places. And so they're, they're hard, they're, I, I, I think. And so the 50% penalty was onerous. So, you know, reducing that penalty down to 25% and giving you a safe harbor to potentially reduce it down to 10% is pretty significant. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk to you about, about a lot of different things. 
um, not uh, not necessarily all things that are applicable to your plan, but just you know in an educational way, letting you know what's going on out, out in the world. So they've expanded the automatic enrollment in pension plans. You know, trying to get people involved in that in that process. Um, you know, they they indicated that an early study has um, found that the adoption of the automatic enrollment has increased participation in the 401k type plans by short tenure employees and and specifically um, trying to target racial gaps. So the Latinx employees have increased from 19% to 75%. Um, in, in plans, the uh, lower paid employees um, and the racial gap in participation has nearly been eliminated by just implementing this automatic enrollment process. Um, the, Frank mentioned you can now promote it. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's, that's really a, a good deal, you know, where you can encourage people by giving them um, gift certificates or, you know, incentivizing their participation. Um, the one of my, one of my favorite provisions that they've adopted, and, and one I feel like I, I need to let everybody know about, is that student loan payments can be treated as elective deferrals for purposes of matching contributions. Um, so, you know, the, uh, an employer, for example, in a governmental plan, um, can make matching contributions in a 457B plan um, in, on behalf of these members if they if they've made those changes to their plan. So allowing people, so, you know, the student loans are a big deal right now, right? We're hearing that so many people are unable to afford their lives because of the student loan payments that they're making. So it's a recognition that, you know, there there is a bump in the road for people who are making substantial student loan payments to getting started in their retirement. So allowing them to use those student loan payments that they're making anyway um, to to be eligible for a match. I think is a is a really good benefit. Um, some of the other things, uh, you know, Frank mentioned the withdrawals for certain emergency expenses, and I think you know that's that's prevalent throughout this change. There there are many many um, life issues that um, allow people to take money out of their retirement and to be able to put it back. Um, so you know, I think that's that's a really good benefit for real people. Um, you know, helping those of us in, in the pension world is that the IRS is getting back in the business of, of helping to, to locate lost people. Um, so that they have a provision to assist the states in locating owners of savings bonds. They have a provision where they're going to um, set up a process to help pension plans to locate missing people, people who who we're supposed to be making distributions to, but we but we can't find them to make the distributions. Um, I, you know, it's not changing the law where um, you know the the, the, the non-governmental plans have to really um, distribute those monies into a, a an IRA account, but hopefully eliminating the requirement that we have to do that um, but always. You know, helping us again to find people. Um, you know, the, one of the other things is they're they they're allowing a provision for individuals to take money um, that they've had in a, a 529 plan. 
and transfer that over into a retirement account um, if they're not using it for, for qualified retirement purposes. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of provisions around it, and there's a lot of rules. So, you know, if that applies to you, I, I encourage you to seek advice of your financial counsel. But um, I think that, um, you know, just recognizing we want people to save towards their children's or their own schooling and using those 529 accounts, but people were hesitant to use them because they were afraid that they were going to have money left over in there and weren't going to have educational expenses to spend it on. So now, at least at the bottom, you can transfer over up to, or I should say, roll over up to $35,000 over the course of a lifetime from 529 accounts into your retirement. Um, again, important for, um, for those of us in the retirement world um, who have to administer these plans, um, they have really softened the rules around recovering overpayments. Um, pension plans sometimes are in the position where they're not notified appropriately when somebody dies. Um, they're in the, in the circumstance where um, you know, there's been an overpayment for, for a calculation error. And um, prior to the SECURE Act 2.0, the rules were pretty strict about the pension plans needed to implement processes to collect those overpayments. Um, this, uh, this particular change allows plans to look at the circumstances around the overpayment and where there is no fault of the participant, where you know, the participant hasn't hidden the fact that somebody has passed away, where the participant um, hasn't participated in some sort of a fraud against the pension fund. Um, you know, the, the pension fund can waive um, going after the member to collect those, those overpayments, which, you know, solves a lot of problems. I think it's, you know, kind of the circumstances that you hear about or, you know, are a widow and you have an elderly person who you're trying to collect a lot of money from, and it reduces their benefit substantially on a forward-going basis. And so, you know, we'll no longer be in that circumstance um, if it meets the requirements of the law. Um, there, we have a provisions in our plan, so this is a change that we'll need to make um, via an amendment to the plan. Um, you, we currently have a provision that, that if we have a mandatory distribution between $1,000 and $5,000, um, you know, we can make that without the, uh, the, the request of the participant. We can just send them a check. They've increased that limit up to $7,000. So that's, a, you know, that's an IRS qualification language that we'll need to amend your plan for. Um, the other the other change was the one that, um, that that Katie and Frank talked about, which was the required minimum distribution age change. So, you know, we just went through the process where we um, increased the age to 72. It's now 73 this year, and as Katie mentioned, it's going up to 75 in 2033. So we'll we'll be making those changes because those those are qualification issues for your plan. Um, there were some some pretty significant changes that were made to police officer and firefighter benefits. Um, so people who are public safety officers, um, which this law now includes um, corrections officers as a part of, um, recognizing their uh, 
uh, you know, what we kind of ask them to do in their day-to-day jobs. So they're disability-related payments, um, which may be tax-free. Um, under the law, with tax-free up to, no, uh, under the previous law, with tax-free up to normal retirement. And now beginning in 2027, it is tax-free even after they've reached that normal retirement age. Um, they have a benefit that is available to them to deduct up to $3,000 for health insurance premiums or long-term care and premiums that they pay. Um, and the bump in the road was that the pension fund had to withdraw the amounts from their checks and pay them over to, um, to the provider of the insurance. Um, that law has been changed, removed the bump in the road by the, um, the pension fund, and allows that payment to be made by, by anyone who is, um, who is a public safety officer who is making those premium payments. Uh, the final change on that um, is that they, uh, public safety officers also are exempt from the 10% penalty um, on withdrawals from like a drop account or a share account. Um, if they are, if they separate from service in the year that they turn 50, they've expanded that to say that um, they're also exempt if they separate from service in the year that they have uh, 25 years of service. So. Um, if they're either 50 or 25 years of service, they're exempt for, the, for those um, drop withdrawals. Um, the IRS, I think, al along the lines of, of simplification, is looking to um, give us some new guidance and some new forms on rollovers, um, which I think will help to standardize the process and, and make it simpler. Um, while I think that the, the IRS rollover form that they provide to all of us gives really good information if, if somebody reads it, it's nine pages long, and, and people aren't going to slog through nine pages to get all of the answers that they need. So hopefully they'll, they'll shorten, that, <laughs> shorten those, uh, that, that notice um, as well as you know, standardizing the process for making the request. Um, let's see. I think, Frank, you covered the rest of these. So people can, um, retirement plans can distribute up to $2,500 a year for the payment of premiums for um, long-term care insurance contracts. So I think, you know, again, recognizing that we are living longer and we'll need to use some of our retirement money towards that, well, towards our, our later in life care. So that, that's, that's all I have. And, and by the way, there are, there are more provisions. Um, so I gave you um, a 19-page summary of the 400-page bill, which is part of the um, part of your packet today. Um, so if you have any, um, you know, anything specific that you're looking for, um, you can take a look at that, that summary. Does anybody have any questions for either me, Frank, Katie? I actually, I did have a question, um, Bonnie, when you were talking about um, some of these items, and it sounded mostly like the minimum required minimum distribution ages 
um, and needing plan amendments. And I guess my question, you know, especially in light of all these changes and upcoming changes, when we go to make those plan amendments, are we able to perhaps leave the, the language a little bit vague, like please refer to IRS um, guidelines for the minimum required distribution age so we don't have to keep going back for these changes? So the IRS, as of the last time that they were in the business of reviewing our pension plans, which was the 2017 between 2015 and 17, they still were pretty strong on you couldn't incorporate um, the IRS provisions by reference. You had to actually list that language in the plan. Okay. I think, you know, one of the things that they helped us out with in this particular change was that they, you know, they increased it to 73 this year and said in 2033, it's going to be 75. So we can put both of those things in any amendment that we make this time. Um, you know, I we can try we can try it. We we absolutely can. And then just if they ever get back in the business, so if they get the eighty thousand employees that that they're talking about adding to the IRS, my guess is that they'll get back in the business of reviewing pension plans to make sure that they're in compliance. Sure. At that, you know, at that point, we would know, um, you know, whether we can incorporate the Internal Revenue Code by reference. Okay. Um, but, but again, right now, we do know on those required minimum distribution ages where it's going to be through 2033. And that works. I mean, we should have a couple of years before we have to amend again. Right. So, right. So. Yeah, so. these changes don't have to be made Im immediately. And so, you know, we'll be able to kind of Sounds great. They'll, they'll give us guidance. They'll, they will give us some guidance on um, those changes that are needed to be made. Okay, perfect. What's the time frame for them to give that guidance? Do you know? It, it usually takes a long time. Uh, I mean, I, the, the last one um, that I, that I can tell you about. So they changed the rollover notices um, in 2018, 2019, the beginning of 2019, and the new rollover notices didn't come out until uh, nearly, tw you know, in 2020. So it takes it takes them a long time to get things together, you know, because somebody drafts it and then it has to go for review and. Um, and approval by the, you know, the people that are higher up in the food chain. So it does take them a while. But it will be before, you know, so, so they will uh, give us guidance before they make the changes be mandatory within the pension plan. Okay. Anybody have any other questions? Mm -mm. Thank you. Very good, informative session. Did you have anything more, Bonnie, or Frank? Um, so you know, my other my other piece of um, presentation for the for the pension meeting um, is also um, kind of educational. Um, you know, it's about internal controls 
and, you know, kind of the things that, that are happening in the world of pensions. So we can go through that or, or we can start the meeting. I mean, the meeting was noticed at 930, indicating that the educational session was a part of the meeting. Um, I don't know if you think others are coming and they're not going to be there till 1030. They said they were confirmed. Tyne, or, um, yeah, Tyna and Tim. They both confirmed that they were coming? Yes. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so I guess we should wait until 10.30. Probably, <clears throat> probably should wait until 10.30. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, if you want to go ahead with your internal controls memo. <clears throat> okay. <me. clears throat> I will do that. killing me. Sorry, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> you have hey, to listen no, no to it again. <laughs> Um, so we had a circumstance in a, in a plan um, in, in South Florida that um, had a, a long-time one-man shop administrator. Um, he worked for the city for a number of years, retired, and then went to work for both the police and the general employee pension plans. Um, shortly after that, he began stealing from the pension fund, um, and he stole about $3 million dollars. Um, that we've been able to determine thus far. He's been arrested. Uh, the pension plan has filed a civil theft lawsuit against him, which provides for trouble damages. But, um, you know, it, it caused us to create uh, a memo and to, to start a discussion with all of our clients about in, internal controls. So I think the first thing to do is actually the last thing that's, that's on my list, which is to perform a self-evaluation of your internal controls, to understand, um, you know, who's, look, who's doing the work for your pension plan, um, you know, what in type of internal controls do they have, um, who's looking at your pension plan, and what type of, of review do they do. Um, your um, financial statements are created by the city's, um, the city's auditor, um, you know, they do a look at your pension plan. So I think it would be good to have a conversation with them about what they do in looking at any internal controls. Um, they, you know, I will tell you that the, the auditors that create the financial statements, um, you know, a chief part of their audit is to say, you know, we, we, this is not designed to uh, determine whether there's any fraud that's happening inside the pension plan. But if they do discover fraud, they are required to report it to you. Um, but, it, but their audits aren't designed to catch that. I think so one of the things that I'm suggesting and, and chief to the scheme where this administrator stole the money was that instead of reporting people who had passed away as, as deceased um, and stopping their benefits where no one else was expecting to receive a benefit, um, he would just transfer their money uh, to another account that he had access to. And so if somebody had just on an annual basis compared the list of the retirees with the, uh, you know, a death check of the uh, 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 database that, that looks at people who have deceased across the country and compiles them. Um, you know, it would have been pretty easy to determine that he, he had something going on, or at least it would have stopped it 
before it had accumulated to $3 million. So one of the things I'm <laughs> suggesting to the clients is that they talk with the internal auditors about the ability to, to take a look at that um, on an annual basis. Um, some of the other things that are happening out there, um, and, and, and many of the pension funds are being confronted by it, is that people are making a business in trying to um, hack retirees and, and move their retirement ACH payments from their bank accounts to, uh, you know, to the bad guy's bank. So, um, you know, having, removing any kind of documents like that from the Internet so that they have to call into the administrator to get that information, um, adding notary requirements to those, uh, to those documents, I think, you know, put a, put a couple of hurdles in the way, you know, kind of along the lines of if you, if you have an alarm sign out your, outside of your house, um, you know, it's not going to necessarily stop the bad guys from, from coming onto their property, but maybe they would look for someplace else where it's easier um, to steal the money. Um, you know, we've had fraud with uh, the warrant. Um, we've had fraud, just people spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to get into our pension plans, um, which are nothing but, you know, money and personal identifiable information. Um, I don't know, Michelle, if you wanted to, to chime in on that a little bit. I, and I will say that Foster & Foster is doing the, um, the SOC 2 audit, so is a review of their internal processes, um, look, and we'll be able to get a copy of that audit once it's completed um, and be able to provide that over to the auditor who does the financial statements as well. Right, um, that's right. So uh, I also wanted to mention that one of the things that this plan does that um, I think is um, very good is they require two signatures. So anytime somebody gets put on the payroll, um, one of the trustees and myself have to sign off on that. And um, so I think that's very good. Um, another um, good checks and balance is the fund activity report that we include in the consent agenda. Each agenda packet has usually the very last page is that fund activity report, and that's where we're going to list anybody who's, you know, starting a benefit, any deceased members, um, and if their beneficiary receives a continuing benefit, all that's going to be laid out on that fund activity report. So I just encourage you guys to, to take a look at that. This is a closed plan, so there's not a lot of activity on there, but, you know, there is some. Um, and if you see anything that you don't recognize or, you know, this is a, a small town, you know, small agency, so a lot, you, you know a lot of your former employees, you know, so if you see some something on there that doesn't quite look right, you know, definitely, you know, ask about it, um, and the, you know, separation of duties is, you know, something that we also practice at Foster and Foster. <clears throat> when I put somebody on the payroll, um, that goes to one of my peers, and they verify it, they, they quality control it, and then it goes over to the custodian. So, you know, there's quite a few people touching, you know, these benefit payment setups or, you know, any kind of benefit payouts. So, yeah. Yeah, when I was reading the memo that you put together, Bonnie, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I said, well, it seems like we've got everything pretty much mm -hmm. 
checks and balances, but there's a lot, a lot of good checks and balances in place already. So that that's very good. It is good. And, you know, it really was designed to make you think about it and to, you know, like, so is there something that we need to ask questions about? Is there something going on that, that we don't know? Um, and, and to understand just, just how, it, how it all works. One of the, so, the recent know, I mean, changes. One of the things I can suggest to you all is if, you know, if you hear that somebody has passed away, make sure that Michelle knows, um, you know, and. I mean, just that, just that simple thing, you know, lets everybody know that you all are, you know, kind of paying attention to, to what's going on. I had, a, I had a, um, a CPA tell me one time that, you know, even if you don't have time on a monthly basis, this was for my business, even if you don't have time on a monthly basis to balance the checkbook, if, you know, if you have somebody else who's doing it, but to, but to review it, just make sure it's always delivered to you. So that you know everybody knows you're taking a look at the information that's coming in. Yeah, and I was just going to say real quick, one of the changes that we did implement fairly recently is when we get a um, direct deposit change via email, we pick up the phone and call the retiree and just verify that they did in fact send it, um, and uh, address changes, things like that. So. If if I had didn't talk, if we haven't talked to the person and we're the ones that sent it, and then they sent it back. Um, from the same email address, we'll pick up the phone and call and just verify that that, that person did, in fact, request that change. Yeah, I think, I think in the future we'll be able to implement, you know, kind of the multi-factor authentication that you, that you see with your bank accounts and, you know, with some of the other financial institutions. Um, but, I, you know, I think right now with the, with the current group of retirees, um, you know, people who have been retired for many years, it's pretty difficult to implement that process um, right away. Well, and you, Bonnie, you touched on something in the first presentation you did on the SECURE Act there about deceased members, that they're doing something to make it easier for pension plans to, to find out if somebody's deceased? They're, they're not making it easier for, for someone to find out if someone's deceased, but they're, they are making it easier for us to find people who are, who are missing. Um, so if, you know, they're setting up like kind of a repository, much like we have here in the state of Florida for lost and found. Um, so, you know, you can, you can kind of put your name in the line to say, um, you know, we, we're holding assets for somebody. We, we need to find them. So, so that's what they're helping with. They okay. actually used to have a pretty good um, this, this, the Social Security uh, master death list, um, you know, had that information. But it's not as reliable as it used to be. Um, and, and I feel like the reports have said that about 30 percent, it has about a 30 percent error rate. And so there are private companies that are out there that offer the business. Um, and so uh, PBI is one that I'm aware of um, that you can, you can do a, a cross-check. And, you know, they, they not only use the Social Security Death Master List, uh, but they spend time um, looking online and, and going through uh, obituaries um, to add people to their database. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, how do you know that somebody's died? 
Right. I mean, if they're getting ongoing distributions through a account and any family member had access to that specific account once they passed, that's totally to just keep sending the money again and again and again. Do we do, we do periodic checks for your, verification of them? Yeah, your, your custodian, Salem, does... Uh, um, yeah, Salem, your custodian, Salem, does a monthly uh, death audit. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do it once a month, so um, we're covered there. And they, they use that PBI, I believe. I think so, too, yeah. PDI is a very big firm, and they're all the big companies use them. But, um, yeah, they we quite often get um, notifications from Salem that, you know, such and such retiree passed, and I usually give it a day, and then I call um, and verify. Um, I did have one occasion where they weren't in fact dead, and they were very surprised to hear oh. from me. So yeah, that nice. happens. That happens fairly often. Does it, Bonnie? One of my <laughs> one of my clients has someone who has been reported more than once as deceased, oh, and he no. he he actually comes to our meetings. I mean, it's like a person that we see fairly regularly. <laughs> reported report, reported dead more than once. Maybe that's why he comes to the meetings. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. This is life. I'm alive. Keep sending my check. <laughs> and I've heard one one administrator told me that even though they have you know stopped somebody's payment, um, that they actually have shown up later on to be alive. Hmm. It's, it's 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 weird. <laughs> oh dear. Hmm. Okay. Any other questions from anybody? Um, well, we could take a 10-minute break and see if take Dan, recess. And Dan and Jim show up and Sounds good. rejoin the meeting. Okay. okay. Sounds good. I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to hit pause. You can watch most of those on, like, Pluto All right. or TV. Yeah. Free yeah. <laughs> My goodness, I'm glad there was a, was there a bug there or something? <laughs> <laughs> Call back to order the General Employees Pension Board meeting at 1031. And All right. do we want to redo? Yeah, we've got like to call. Sure, sure. Bridget Vazier? Here. Brenda DeWeese? Here. Tina Hilton? Here, 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 here. Delaina Talley? Here. And Tim Sopko? Here. All right. All we here. do have a full board uh, chair. All right. Uh, we'll go to item number three on the agenda, public comments. As we have no public, we'll move on to item number four, approval of the minutes from the December 12, 2022 quarterly meeting. Are there any changes or corrections to the meeting minutes? All right. Nope. I'll make a motion that we approve the minutes of the December 12, 2022 meeting. I second that. Oops, sorry. Yeah. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Uh, item number five, new business. Okay, we have none. Item number six, old business. We have none. So we will move on to the reports. Uh, first up, Doug Lozen with Foster & Foster with our actuarial evaluation. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It's happy on. Monday. It is. 
and happy first day of daylight savings time again. Hey. <laughs> I know we're about seven and a half months on and you know four and a half off in Florida, but we all know that uh, the legislature passed up to Congress, you know, that we want to stay permanently on daylight savings time. I, I don't care which way, just pick one. And yeah, uh, yeah. Just just changing the clocks. <laughs> Apparently, Congress has to take an act if you want to stay on permanent daylight time. If you wanted to stay on permanent saving or non-daylight savings time, we wouldn't need, we could have just done it. So hopefully at some that point. That would have required but, everybody to but, agree and act as one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, but, as, but as we're arguing this, there's banks failing. In the so yeah. I was debating whether to drive up in Fort Myers this morning or not. And it's like, no, I'd require my body clock to wake up at three. So <laughs> forget it. So anyways, very happy to be here. Good to see everyone at Edgewater again. Uh, I am, I am going over the October 1st, 2022 valuation. It should have been all fired up on the iPads, and I, if I did it right, I made it so the screen won't shut off because we, we hired IT people, and it's actually very good. They're very sharp, but they change the passwords on these things, and it's just a hassle for me to call it out. So it's, it's all still fired up on the iPads? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So, you know, I like to keep it simple, and it's, it's, it's basically a retiree-only plan. There's still just one active member, so there's not a lot of moving parts every year. Really, the only, the, the only reason we go through this exercise each year to go through a new valuation date, which is always October 1st, is really to measure two assumptions compared to reality. And it, we, we all know that assumptions are for the long term, and if they're reasonable, they will match reality. But on a year-over-year -year basis, you know, they could, you could almost certainly not meet the assumption. You either um, beat it or you fall short of it. And by beating or falling short, that determines whether the city's requirement goes up or down. We just make these little tweaks. Uh, the analogy is, you know, you've got a car that's running just fine and, and everything mechanically is fine, but you still need to keep the hand on the steering wheel. You can't just go down the road, take your hands off, and, and not think that you're going to go in the ditch at some point. So that's what we're doing here is we're just making these little adjustments to the steering wheel uh, to keep the contributions flowing in appropriately that are being invested uh, to pay out monthly benefits for the lifetime of the retirees. The only two things we're really measuring right now is your investment performance relative to the assumption. The assumption is 6.25 net of fees and life expectancy relative to the assumption that's in place. And in Florida, we're mandated to match what the Florida retirement system uses. That's actually a conservative assumption. When, when you hear an actuary with a defined benefit plan talk about conservative, that means you have a greater likelihood of meeting that assumption rather than falling short. And so meeting the better chance of meeting the assumption means there's more stability in the city's funding and it's easier to generate a gain. Uh, we, we, we've all seen, in, if you've been watching the media uh, stories in the last, especially five years, life expectancy is really flat, flattening out. Uh, there is greater mortality 
in the general population um, than historically, than the tables uh, would dictate. And especially in the millennial age group, if you've seen those stories, and that's pretty surprising if you think about it. The millennials are born, you know, really in the 80s into the early 90s, so they're, they're young. And the excess mortality, the, the number of deaths um, compared to the long-term tables are, are very, very high. It's, it's uh, significant statistically. And uh, everybody's trying to get a, a gauge on what the, the reasoning for it is. But I've, I've seen it with defined benefit plans in Florida for at least the last three years. We're getting a lot of mortality that we would normally not expect. Uh, so with that little bit of an intro, uh, if you look on page five of the report, uh, you can see we, we do need uh, the first of extra contributions from the city. Uh, fis compared to fiscal 23 going into 24, uh, about an extra of $58,000. And the reason of the increase is you did fall short on the investment side. Um, it's interesting, back-to-back -back years, you know, fiscal 21, a tremendous, yeah, 21, a, a tremendous return, you know, double digits, 17 or 18 percent, you know, followed by in fiscal 22, you know, just 12 months later, um, same magnitude but with a negative, like a negative 17 percent. So in reality, though, you gave back more than you, you gained in 21. You think, well, wait a minute, if we got a positive 17 followed by a negative 17, doesn't that cancel? No, because the assumption is six and a quarter. So in fiscal 21, you got a gain. You expected six and a quarter. You got about a 17. So that's like, you know, 11% or so. When you get a minus 17 compared to a positive six, you know, you're falling short by about 23 or 24%. Fortunately, we smooth assets. So you've heard that term before. You know, this is part of your education, right? I understand that you use my presentation as part of the, the educational part, too. We smooth assets to help the city budget either way. Whether we have this tremendous gain or a tremendous loss, we phase it in on the investment side. Uh, if we didn't, you'd have some very different answers. If, let's pretend we didn't smooth on assets, and we roll back to me being here one year ago, I would have showed the city's requirement dropping quite a bit, and everybody would have been getting very excited, especially budgeting over at the city, and it's like, oh, great, we can lower our requirement to the general employees fund. I don't know what the number is, but let's say it's, you know, 50000 and we'll take that money and free it up elsewhere for the general fund or put it somewhere else. And then I come back right now, again, with no smoothing, and I would say, oh, guess what, uh, that, that minus 50,000, uh, you need to put that back plus another 30, uh, because we have now have a minus 17. And it's like, oh, great. You know, so you get this roller coaster ride, up and down, up and down. So let's go back to reality, we smooth. And so last year's four-year average was, was decent. It was above your six and a quarter, but we weren't using this great positive 17. You know, it was more like, I'm guessing, eight or nine. And so the city's requirement last year came down a bit instead of way down without smoothing. But here I am now showing you a $58,000 increase rather than like an 80 or, or a 90,000 or maybe even worse. But smoothing doesn't 
do away with reality. It just phases it in. So the next three years, you will have the fiscal 21 uh, still phasing in, and now the fiscal 22 phasing in. They're working against each other to some extent. In three years from now, the last good portion of 21 falls off, and there's one more bad portion of 22. That's when you're going to have a spike. That's when you're going to see a little bit more than this 58,000 in, in the year that it occurs. What I'm hoping is we get some favorable returns the next three years to help bring the baseline down so that when that spike occurs, uh, the spike will be there no matter what, uh, but it won't be as bad as if we had today's baseline to measure it against. So I'm just giving you a, a heads up that the next three years, I think the city's requirement will still need to go up for the general plan, and the biggest portion of that is three years from now. Um, but I'll just give you an update each year that I come, you know, just to kind of let you know what's going on. So with that, um, that little introduction there, uh, so just a quick uh, recap on this page, and then I'll give you an update on the funded status. The recap on this page is the city's requirement for this year is that 719, 791. Uh, just budget for that exactly to the dollar. We don't need to worry about the, um, the member contributions. And the budget for next year, 23, 24, should be exactly that 777332, regardless of what's going on in the market or anything else. So any questions on what I've covered so far? Okay. Um, if you swipe over to the next page six, there were no changes to the plan since last year, meaning the city did not pass any amendments that affect benefits, and there were no assumption changes for the plan. And the last thing I think I will plan on covering, and then I'll give you a recommendation uh, after that, uh, if you go to page 15, it's an update on your funded status. And you can see it's, it's been stable. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not a stellar funded ratio, um, but it's been stable. It's, it's hovering you know, in the, the mid-60s to close to 70. But remember, we've been able to keep the stability while continuing to lower the investment return assumption. With a closed plan, and essentially all retirees, you know, it's a very mature plan. We do need that investment return assumption lower. You know, it was, it was over 7% a decade ago. The six and a quarter, in my opinion, is, is a perfectly reasonable and, and long, you know, fine long-term assumption, and I don't recommend that we have to do anything else, you know, further with it. In fact, uh, I'm not going to be recommending really any assumption changes, you know, for many years. Uh, the mortality side, again, the state will tell us if a change has to be made. And as far as the six and a quarter goes, I, I think right now that's a reasonable long term for, for many years. You know, we'll, we'll advise at some point in the future if it, we seem, you know, with, with um, Katie's input, Frank's input, um, whether we think that, you know, their strategy dictates we should have a different long term assumption. But uh, right now, in my opinion, the six and a quarter is fine. I don't see any short-term need to change it at all. So where I will finish up is go back two pages and 
to with a recommendation. This page at the top, it says reconciliation of the unfunded actuarial accrued liabilities. Uh, most of the city's payment for the pension plan is due to this page. Um, think of this as you know, all of the things that have happened in the past that you're paying off. Um, not a perfect word, but think of debt. You know, you've made a lot, you've borrowed a lot over, the, over time. And if you look at the very bottom, uh, think of that as a house. You've got a $6 million house. You see that all the way at the bottom, second to the right-hand column. $6 million house, and you're currently paying $654,000 per year on it. Well, it's not just one payment on the $6 million. It's comprised of all of that schedule, all of these items up above. They have different payoff periods. What's going to start happening the next couple of years is you're going to have credit pieces falling off. So, for instance, if you look at the third one down in that schedule, it's labeled uh, an experience gain from 2013, and it, you have one year left to pay on it. And notice the payment for that is $56,734 credit. If I didn't do anything with this schedule here, over the next couple of years, those credit pieces are going to start expiring. And when they expire, the city's requirement would go up from the baseline. What I'm trying to do is, is avoid having these credit pieces expire and have the city's requirement just go up simply because you fully recognize prior gains. So what I'm recommending is when I come back next year, we consolidate the unfunded. You, you've, you've seen these commercials on TV offering. It's like, hey, if you have all these credit cards and these debts, uh, we'll pay them all off and you pay us, you know, you just pay us, you know, one payment. Of course, there's a downside to that in the private sector. It's they're making money. They'll, they'll pay off all of your debt, but now you're going to pay them and they're going to make some profit on it. There's no, what I'm recommending here is no profit. You simply will compress all of these into one payment. I will give you the payoff period. I have to, I have to calculate it. And that will restart the unfunded liability page. It, it will not incur any additional payment from the city. It's going to be using the six and a quarter investment return assumption. Um, I would simply take that $6 million and the payment for it, that 654, I would keep the 654 as close as I possibly can and create a payoff period. Let's say I just back into it using interest theory and it's 15 years. So next year what you would see on this page is all of these compressed, $6 million payoff, 15-year uh, period for that $654,000 payment. So that's what I'm recommending to you is so there'll be two parts today to when, when I'm done talking here shortly, you'll approve the valuation report and then separately for next year, you will uh, approve me consolidating the unfunded liability for the reasons I just gave. So let me turn it over to you to answer any questions that you might still have before you go ahead with those motions. So, from, just to jump in. Go ahead. So just to um, clarify, so when you consolidate those, and then you're basically redoing the amortization schedule, say, over a 15-year period. Yes. Um, is there the 6.25 being factored in for 
interest at all? Yes. Or how does that, okay. It's uh, just, a, it's like taking out any loan in the private sector, level dollar amortization. Okay. You're paying just principal and interest. Okay. On the six, using six and a quarter as your assumption. And 15 years would be your assumption? Uh, going or? forward, I would recommend any future changes at strictly 15 to keep things simple. Mm -hmm. The initial uh, consolidation, I will have to calculate the number so that there's minimal impact on the city's funding. Uh, that 654 might go up slightly, 660, 670 maybe maximum, because mm -hmm. I, I have to pick an even number. So I'm, I'm just throwing out, let's just pretend it's 15. Okay. I, it might be 14, it might be 18. I'll figure it out so there's minimal impact on city's funding. So going forward, <clears throat> are, is this going to be listed the same way that you would have the consolidation? That's um, an excellent Amortization amount, and then if there's an... Uh, you know, an experience gain or loss for next year, is that going to be listed separately? Excellent question. Yes, we are not changing the method for funding. This page will always be here. We will just restart it. But it's the same methodology as in the past. We will still measure gains and losses. We will still pay them off over time. The, your, your cost method, the entry age normal, remains unchanged. The only change is that we consolidate the unfunded. But that's going forward, we'll resume with this page. So it'll be next year, there'll be two pieces to this, then there'll be three, the next year, then four, and so okay. on. The schedule will restart. So the, you could, just for clarification, if somebody wanted to go back and look, they would have this year's to look at in order to see how that. Yes. How that all came about over the years. Yep, they could pull out these reports, and you know, the, the visual is you know printing instead of or, or multiple PDFs on a computer, and just line them up in sequence, and you can see, you know, historically you've got the legacy information to okay. to compare. Okay. And and by the way, the recommendation is is very common. That's I've pretty much done it. it, it not just with my plans, but all as a firm, all the foster and foster plans in the state. We have over 200. About every one of them at this point has had this consolidation done. So it's nothing new or out of the ordinary that we're recommending. What was the assumption change in 21 for the 812,000? I'm going to guess that it was uh, a reduction in the investment return assumption. Um, yes. Um, uh, we, we were at 6.75 and we lowered to six and a quarter. Okay. Any other questions? Nope. Then we need a motion. For the approval of the actuarial, and then we need to do separate motion for the other declaration of returns. Yes, please. I'll make a motion we approve the actuarial report. I'll move around. Yes, 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 second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed?
And we need another motion for the assumption. Yes, please. Consolidation. Six point two five, correct. Um, well, that's that'll be the declaration of returns. Declaration of returns, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're we're dealing with the consolidation of the unfunded right now. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 So I'm so, so as far as the consolidation, Doug, um, can they just give you consensus direction and then? You know, they'll actually approve it in the next valuation. Oh, I got it. Sure. Yeah, that that's common. Right. Okay. Okay. That, yep. That I can agree with. Agreed by consensus. Okay. Yeah. Everybody agree? I agree. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. And now we Thank can you. do the uh, declaration of returns. Right. So, um, combined with the responsibility to approve the actuarial evaluation, you also have the responsibility to determine the expected rate of return over the short term, the midterm, and the long term thereafter. But the state does ask you to do that every year. So um, you need to, unless there's discussion, um, you need to, the appropriate motion would be to set the expected rate of return at 6.25% over the short term, the midterm, and the long term thereafter. I'll make a motion that we set the actual motion to set the rate of return right at 6.25 mm -hmm. for the short term, mid term, and long term. I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Thank you. Opposed? Thank you. Okay. okay I am Thank done. You. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Pleasure as always. You can just leave the iPads up there. I'll get them after. I'm here all day. Okay. Item 7B. Frank Juan and Katie Lamp of Burgess Chambers and Associates. Yeah. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, and uh, thank you for the flexibility for uh, me to attend virtually. Um, but I hope that Katie would cover in some points maybe I'll, I would miss. Um, but nonetheless, I want, want to kick it off with a, a market overview um, as we have gone through quite a bit just this past week and, and hopefully provide some confidence. Um, so let's go through my slides first, and then I'll touch on the latest debacle with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and for now, I, I want to leave with you guys on a, on a high note uh, related to our views on the global market. Uh, in the handout uh, that, uh, that was provided on page two, uh, we noted that the world stocks are currently trading at a P-E ratio or P-E multiple of 15 times their earnings. Um, but specifically at the bottom right, you'll find two areas that are selling at a substantial discount. And those areas are MSCI emerging markets and MSCI Europe. So Asian Pacific stocks and largely European stocks at the end of the year were selling at a substantial discount. So, so why does that matter? Well, that matters because one of our worst performer last year in your portfolio was a fund called American Funds Euro Pacific. And Euro Pacific at one point was actually down 29%, far worse than what we have anticipated. Um, however, when you look at Euro Pacific, and their overall exposure on page 11 of the handout, what you'll note is that 66% of their portfolio is invested in two of the cheapest areas of the market. Uh, so on page 11, you'll find Europe, 37.7% of their exposure, 
and Asia and the Pacific Basin at 28.5% of their exposure. Uh, so again, as we think about this, this concept that stocks uh, do fall, eventually come back up, we also subscribe to a theory called yeah, reversion to the mean. Uh, so in the latest quarter, when you think about the Euro-Pacific fund, along with the reopening of, of China, um, that particular fund was one of the best performers. So in your book, uh, as you browse through it, you'll find that Euro-Pacific for the fourth quarter was up 14%. Uh, so again, we hope this provides a bit of confidence that as we see things in a, in a much of a valuation um, uh, uh, that, that's very attractive and beyond historical norms, uh, we are provided with a sense of optimism that, 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 that a recovery may be underway, especially in Europe and also in Asia. Um, so having that said, when you go back to page 10, uh, one of the factors that we, we looked at was the long-term performance for Euro-Pacific, and uh, this is where we have found additional confidence in the fund's ability to bounce back. And when we look at the fund over longer rolling periods, and this example, these blue dots are measuring the fund over five-year rolling cycles against their benchmark and, and nearly all time periods, whether it's five years ending in December 31st or five years ending in, in 2017, uh, this particular fund has outperformed 90% of the time. Uh, so while this fund has underperformed severely over the past year, um, we, we stand uh, by this team um, given their long-term track record, and certainly we hope it will roar back as your better performers for, for this year. Um, so, so again, I want to provide a sense of a uh, highlight that one of your worst performers is turning out to be one of the best performers. And, and then, two, towards the end of the year, as we talked about your stock pickers, um, you know, in your portfolio, you had uh, Wells Fargo, or uh, latter named uh, All Springs Growth uh, Mutual Fund, and then you also had the Virtus Ceredex Mutual Fund, and, and, and similar to the uh, the Euro-Pacific story, both stock picking management teams were really, really, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the worst performers in your portfolio. Um, we, at the end of the, the year, calendar year last year, recommended a small consolidation, and, and largely because what we have seen in industry is something called the reconstitution of index funds. Uh, so on page 14, uh, if you look at the slide between value versus growth, um, and note that there are many sectors of value over the past year has now switched to, to growth. And likewise, there are many areas of growth that have switched over to value. Uh, so the whole concept of value versus growth has really taken a, a beating uh, in terms of, you know, which stocks which managers should own. Uh, and one example I like to give is, is Netflix. Um, for, for a long time, and most of the managers that we dealt with last year and the year prior really hated Netflix. And uh, throughout last year, Netflix was touting on their new subscribing uh, subscription platform where they are charging now uh, their, their viewers $6.99 if the viewers want ads. So uh, an ad, ad version versus an ad-free version. That, that, that used to be the only, only case before. Well, Netflix, when launching the... The, the ad version, they had anticipated that they would get 5 million new subscribers in the fourth quarter. And uh, the entire Wall Street community kind of shunned on the idea, and they said, you know, Netflix, we don't think 
you're going to get 5 million viewers, but we're not going to hold your stock. Um, so by way of not owning that stock, um, I will say it has been a detriment because during the fourth quarter, Netflix actually reported an addition of 7.9 million new subscribers. Uh, so this concept of Netflix uh, that was shunned by growth companies um, really did not help by, by, you know, because many of the mutual funds did not own Netflix as part of their portfolio, while Netflix is one of the stocks that have roared more than 40% uh, since October 1st of last year. And consequently, Netflix has been changed from growth to value. Uh, so now when we think about the managers in your portfolio, Teradex uh, is now forced with a decision to own Netflix or not. So between growth and value, both managers in your situation uh, missed out on the opportunity to, to take advantage of the stock lows. And, and that same story can be applicable for, for Facebook or Meta, and that story also applied towards Salesforce. And, and then as of late, that same story uh, also carried over to Tesla. Uh, so the fact that most of these companies are switching between growth to value, given how much they've been beat up last year, and the fact that value companies may not want to own them, given their, their poor outlook and, and poor out, you know, uh, future forecast, uh, that we felt it was, it was prudent for this board to make that switch between active to passive. So what we have done over the last year, if you recall, is we took half the position from Wells Fargo and also half the position uh, from, uh, from the value uh, mutual fund and really started a new position uh, called the Fidelity 500 Index. And we truly believe having a blend of active versus passive in your portfolio is going to capture more of the upside going forward. Historically, we evaluated bounce back in these severe markets. The passive investments, you know, just as I mentioned with the S&P, uh, with the Russell 1000 growth, and, and has really captured more of the upside. Uh, so if we think that the market is ripe for a bounce back, we truly do believe that the passive index, by way of owning all of the companies, all of the constituents, including Facebook, Netflix, Tesla, Salesforce, are going to be able to provide a higher capture in this, in this environment going forward. Uh, so we will likely to evaluate this position again um, and, and possibly recommend further efficiencies to be added to the portfolio and by way of consolidating Teradex and the Russell 1000 growth uh, uh, portion in your, in your portfolio. But for now, just understand on page 15 really does describe what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, on page 15, you see that the blue line really straddles the middle. And here is a good example of how we're going to be more efficient going forward and not having to rely on either side of the markets in helping you to generate those excessive returns. And again, in summary, we do hope in this coming year to find additional efficiencies and have a, a, a less of a reliance on the managers picking that home run stock that's going to be favorable for your portfolio. And I'll, I'll take a pause for a second to see if anyone has any questions related to my comments related to international uh, and or uh, the index for the large cap space. Nope. Nope. Doesn't look like it. Go ahead. 
Okay, so then moving on to uh, our normal report. Um, so if you recall, you know, we normally consolidate our report, but uh, we usually provide a market perspective on how we view the world. And on page two of the market perspective, uh, we highlight our views and also we highlight maybe what the Fed's intentions may be for this coming year. Uh, when we think about what has happened already, uh, effective last year between March to June, the Fed has taken a position to really decelerate the economy. And the purpose there is to really decelerate the rate of inflation that we have all faced. Um, so in that view, here are some things that we expect for 2023. Uh, in 2023, with a higher cost of money, so companies like Coca-Cola, when they go to the banks, their average corporate line of credit has risen above 6.5% compared to two and a quarter last year. Uh, so they're forced to have layoffs and or hire freezes. Although it doesn't feel like we've seen it yet, but I will say that we have seen signs of cracks, especially in the technology sector. Companies like Salesforce, Facebook, even Zoom or Zillow have laid off a massive amount of its staff. And, and that's becoming more ubiquitous in other sectors. But so far, most of the, the, the layoffs have largely surrounded, uh, been surrounded in the technology-oriented sectors. And we do hope that the CPI will continue to decline. Currently, the CPI is around 6.3%. That's consumer price index marked, uh, marked on a year-by-year -year basis. And that 6.3 is a decelerated number compared to a peak of 9.1% last year. So while it is decelerating, it's not necessarily moving at a pace that's as fast as the Fed has anticipated. So when you think about maybe what our forecast was at the beginning of the year, at the bottom, there's a chart that illustrates maybe a, a trajectory of Fed funds rate or the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate. And, and we saw that the Fed fund would potentially pause the rate hike at 5%. Well, since January 1st, we have seen an uptick on our, our expectations. Now the market and also our firm are believing that the Fed could take the rate as high as 5.5% by the middle of 2023. Um, what we have seen in the last two months is that the U.S. hiring, whether in January, Department of Labor announced 500,000, 517,000 new jobs that were added compared to $230,000. So, an uh, amount that was massively more than anticipated. Uh, so, that has continued to contribute to the stubborn uh, level of inflation that we have faced. And then, as of last week, the Department of Labor further announced for the month of February, they added more than 300,000 jobs. Again, nearly 100,000 more than anticipated. So while it's slowed since January, it's still a number that, uh, that is significantly higher than a forecasted job growth that we, we, we were expecting to see. Uh, so having those kind of numbers uh, in our rearview mirror, uh, we do believe that the Fed would potentially increase the rates before they start to lower it, unlike our forecast at the beginning of the year. Uh, now, in the last week, that has thrown a bit of a wrench in that equation, and that wrench happens to be the Silicon Valley Bank. Um, as you know, Silicon Valley Bank went into receivership uh, on Friday of last week, and FDIC has stepped in yesterday to provide all investors and, and all depositors the full faith guarantee 
uh, of the FDIC, meaning that all the depositors, even for those who have deposited more than $250,000, will receive 100% of their monies in return. Uh, so U.S. government is effectively stepping in to bail out SVB, or Silicon Valley Bank, and further, another bank went into receivership this weekend called Signature Bank, and I would imagine that FDIC would step in to assist Signature Bank with their uh, promise to return investor monies as well. So having those two backstops, we hope that the Fed notices that there are signs in this economy, and a lot of that signs of cracking is finally showing up. Um, you know, for, for a while, we talked about the lag effect. And the lag effect meaning that Fed can raise rates, but they may not see the impact of rates going up as quickly until six to 12 months later. Well, you know, this is beginning to be that sign of crack, and we hope that the Fed would truly evaluate what this means for the U.S. financial system and, and, and how they may want to take their next rate hikes more cautiously. Uh, so the, the events in the last three days has spooked investors across Wall Street and even today with the news that FDIC is providing a backstop. The financial sector is selling off quite drastically and largely the financial sector, especially the regional banks, are down more than 2.5% just off on the news data today. Uh, the good news in your portfolio as we evaluated Saradex Holdings, Saradex, you own uh, financial companies in your portfolio. And under the large cap growth flagship fund, Saradex Value Investors, uh, the, in, the holdings that they have in their portfolio is limited to Bank of America and Chase. So large banks that, that are not as aggressive as the regional banks, such as the Silicon Valley or the Signature Banks, so we do believe that these two banks in your portfolio through Saradex are positioned significantly better than the other type of financial institutions uh, that's, that's taken a beating today. Um, so, so again, um, with the FDIC stepping in over the weekend, um, we, we, we hope that the Fed uh, will look for additional signs of crack before they implement further hikes in our economy and truly, with a backstop FDIC, that there won't be a nervous run on the monies, um, as, as we saw uh, over the last week, specifically in the Silicon Valley Bank. So that was a lot uh, to capture. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, there's still a lot to be digested. Uh, but our firm is, is really at in this week uh, looking through some of our financial companies and making sure uh, that, that we're comfortable with the memos they provide to us and ensuring that we don't expect the Lehman Brothers case uh, as we, you know, saw back in 2008 and nine. And uh, again, I'll, I'll pause there to see if anyone has any questions with this market perspective. Nope. Nope. Well, great. So then I'd like to fast forward your attention to page 12 of the report. Um, and looking at page 12, there's a small modification that we made in the way we want to present your report. Um, so, you know, for a while, the pension plan um, was aiming for a goal of 6.75%. And with a change in the FRS, which is now expecting 6.7%, we thought it was fair for us to change. 
change the universe on this slide to compare your plan against now the public funds universe. However, I do want to mention that you know your plan is significantly more conservative than the rest of your peers across the state. You know, you have roughly 50% of your investments in what we call risk-off options. Uh, and your peers at this point are investing in more or less uh, 30 or, or less, 30% or less in risk-off uh, portfolios, such as bonds and real estate. Um, however, this past year, uh, really as we anticipated, your stock pickers or your mutual funds really did not protect you in a way that we had anticipated. So the one-year return, you lost significantly more than, than we had hoped. Uh, so minus 16% versus a minus 12% in your portfolio. So even as conservative as you are, unfortunately, that didn't appear to be the case on paper. And uh, I, I hate to say it, but the stock picking simply was the, the worst um, uh, attribution uh, that, that, um, that could have, uh, you know, added to the pain. Uh, so not only certain stocks have hurt, and also, uh, you know, not picking the better stocks have, have certainly contributed to that minus 16.4%. So, again, as I alluded to, we moved $1.8 million to Fidelity 500 Index, and we hope with this change that your portfolio will become more efficient and to capture more of the upside going forward. Uh, so, again, that's one change I want to highlight, but noting that, you know, as we have uh, evaluated your plan, our theme for this coming year is to truly focus on efficiency and, and potentially to take on some risk as well. Uh, given that your plan has been historically more conservative um, and, and your funded status has been a talking point for us for a while, we do want to improve your funded status to be above 70 to 80% going forward. Um, as we continue to talk about how to de-risk your plan and potentially buying more bonds, well, the rates are higher, which is great, but unfortunately, your funded status isn't quite there yet for us to de-risk. Um, so, you know, continuing the theme last year, we do want to increase the risk slightly when opportunity fits and to capture the advantages of de-risking when times also serves that well. Uh, so, again, as we look forward to 2023-2024, our theme is to provide efficiency, but also potentially to take a little bit more risk so that you can improve on the funded status, so that in the long term, we could de-risk sooner than later. Um, but in true reality, as you know, when we compare your plan against a, against a similarly invested group, so not against your public pension peers, on page 16, against a similarly invested group of 50-50, so 50% in, in, in stocks and bonds, um, and, uh, and here you can see that in, in a more direct comparison, uh, we didn't do as well last year, but over the longer term, uh, this plan remains to be uh, really favorable uh, on a direct comparison basis. Um, so it's hard to find a good universe to compare your plan because you're so unique in a, in a very uh, unique position as well. So we want to make sure that you understand that we are trying to be closer to your peers, but still we want to outperform um, this balanced universe of, uh, of a more conservative investors uh, that, that we want to make sure that you're still doing well uh, against both peer groups when we consider your pension uh, in this unique situation that you're in as a closed pension plan going forward. 
And, uh, you know, lastly, to kind of wrap up our report and perhaps leave a few minutes uh, for Katie to make a couple inputs as well, um, you know, as we think about your plan on page 17, um, it is quite mature, and we are withdrawing quite a lot of money on an annual basis. So on page 10, uh, 17, you'll note that the green line continues to fall, which means that over the past five years, uh, the plan has paid out more than $4 million in benefits. Um, so the market value of $12 million has, uh, has been less, but that's both on two parts of the plan, taking higher distributions and also having a, a drawdown in the marketplace. Um, so what we want to accomplish, again, just to bring you back to that $1450 million mark uh, so that you can be better funded as we were at one point. Uh, so, so here is this chart. Um, shows that, you know, we have gone through periods like this, but we have also recovered. It, it may take some time to recover, but the markets do always come back. And uh, we do think that, you know, the, the, in, in looking at some of the sectors and the valuation, the market is potentially ripe for a bounce back, especially if the Fed chooses to pause their rate hike or their aggressive stance on rates sooner than later. When you think about the stock markets, the stock market is a fortuitive um, example of what they see in the marketplace. So when they do take a look at the Fed and they see, see a shift in the Fed's overall posturing, then they, they can look for something to celebrate. And combined with cheap valuations and a potential for the Fed to lower rates or pause rate hikes, we do think those will be the factor that will, uh, that will initiate the next bull leg. And we're confident that's going to happen sooner than later. And uh, with that said, I'll uh, shut up here and see if my colleague Katie has anything to add. Thank you, Frank. Um, I would say the only thing I have to add is I would just reiterate um, one thing as I was going through this um, performance update um, last week in preparation for the meeting today is um, one point I did notice, and Frank really did do a good job iterating this point, um, in comparison to your peers, um, long-term, it's looking favorable. So you were third um, out of 100, which, you know, it's like golf. So if you have a one, that's great, hole in one. Um, so three-year, five-year performance um, as it stands today is in the third percentile and the first percentile, five year, four year, five year. Um, and I did pull the statistics for quarter four of 2021 of last year in, you know, short term looking. So quarterly to one year. We had a very unprecedented market last year, as I'm sure everyone has heard. Bond markets were down. Stock market was down. Um, so unfortunately, it's, you know, it's in the bottom percentile compared to last year, where it was 12 and 7 for short term. But given the long term horizon, again, last year it was the three year was one and the five year was one for the total fund. Um, so I guess that's just a little bit of a reiteration um, that long term in comparison to the peer group, um, it does look strong. And I just thought that was something that stood out to me overall. But I, that's the only comment I would have to add. Um, I thought Frank did a great job at really diving into it. So thank you again.
Thank you. Thank you. I have a question. Um, last quarter, we authorized basically the $300,000 on the real estate side. What, what's the status of that? Yeah, great, great catch, Brenda. So, um, you know, real estate, while um, in normal operating environments, provide us liquidity on a, month, a quarterly basis. Um, so as we look to redeem from real estate, uh, it happens that all of our peers wanted to run at the door at the same time. Uh, so when we initiated this recommendation back in uh, early November prior to the meeting, uh, there were $10 billion of institutional money that we're hoping to exit real estate pools. Um, at the end of December 31st, that 10 became $20 billion. And consequently, firms like American Realty, along with J.P. Morgan, UBS, um, have all instituted something called a lockup provision, meaning that they're not going to force sale any properties that they own, but instead they will look to liquidate their portfolios methodically and return investor capital when those redemptions or when the sales are processed. Uh, so we did get a sliver uh, of money during the fourth quarter, and I think that was maybe in the amount of, of $15,000. Um, so it, there are inching towards redeeming our assets, um, but our, our, unfortunately our money is uh, really at the, at the mercy of American Realty and whether or not they can meet the, the redemption um, you know, demand out there at the moment. Silicon Valley Bank could do that. <laughs> <laughs> They'd still be with us. Boy. Yeah, so, so unfortunately that was a drag for the fourth quarter. But remember, private real estate was really the only source of gain for this portfolio. Um, have we not had private real estate last year that, that you know, that minus 16% would have looked significantly worse? Um, so worse comes to worse. Private real estate will provide a diversifier to the way, you know, that the returns are reported. And, uh, you know, for now, even though you have seen uh, kind of a drawdown in private real estate, um, we do hope that as real estate gets its right down, the stock markets will recover uh, so that the pain under real estate may not be um, as, you know, as significant, given that currently real estate represents nearly 10% of our portfolio. But if, if the stock and bonds, both recover, then that that percentage uh, that we have in real estate should look relatively less. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? No, Frank really did a great job of really diving into all the details of Yep. Thank you, Frank. Thank and you. Katie. Thanks, Frank. Katie. Thanks, Katie. Absolutely. And I, I think the I think the market's up. Okay. Issue. Really? Yeah. They're, so now, they're now they, yeah. They're now happy. Well, I mean, I'm like 20 minutes behind, right? I don't catch up real time. But. <laughs> yeah. So markets missed the small cap of the regional banks um, are are down quite significantly, um, but the large caps have turned. Yeah, large caps have turned. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so the turning point, a lot of it was is is based on the potential. Um, that, that the Fed may not be as aggressive. Um, so with right. this, or, you know, just as I mentioned, um, not only you know uh, are investors cheering on the fact that the Fed may not be as aggressive, um, that we may have a less uh, of a hike in, in, in you know this month uh, as as next week. Um, so so there are a lot of speculation in place 
but I think, you know, for, for good reason, that the market is cheering at the minimum from FDIC insurance bailout. Right. And and so they're going to do – and they're doing more, right? I think I got that from the beginning of your conversation. They're going to do more than just FDIC. Correct. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Next up, uh, we have Bonnie, our plan attorney. You right. So I um, – all of my presentation was in the educational component, so unless you all have any questions, we can move on. <laughs> okay. Um, item number eight is the consent agenda, and we have the summary of payments, warrant 84 for ratification, warrant 85 for approval, and then there was the fund activity report. Any Questions or comments related to any of those? I did want to bring up one thing. Um, I thought I would have it all wrapped up prior to the meeting. Uh, let me open up this summary. We had a, um, a retiree pass away, Lawrence Caruso, and we're... So this is the Mr. Caruso situation? Yes, Bonnie. And I've been in touch with, with um, Bonnie, of course. Um, when I went to the member folder, I saw that he had chose a five-year certain in life uh, benefit. So that meant that from the day he retired, there's a guaranteed benefit payment to a beneficiary for five years. Well, he had uh, maybe seven months left on the benefit. Okay, So there's a small benefit that needs to be paid out. Um, I was in touch with his son. Um, the sole primary beneficiary that Mr. Caruso has listed was his wife, and his son let me know that she's also passed away. So we're in the process now of getting a death certificate for Mr. Caruso and a death certificate for his beneficiary. And, Bonnie, I think I understood you saying that once I get those two pieces, um, we can pay that benefit out to the estate. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It's a, it's a very small benefit. So as you can see from that benefit activity report, it's $190. And I think ultimately it was guaranteed through April um, of 2023. So uh, uh, it's not a significant amount of money. Um, but, you know, it is – Mr. Caruso did not leave another, um, you know, designated beneficiary. So we'll have to pay it over to the estate. The estate, yeah. yeah. I'm in the process of... But we are having difficulty getting the information from the son. I think... He's actually uh, going to meet me here today. Michelle, Michelle sent me uh, what he had provided, which was, I think, five different photos of pieces of his father's death certificate. That we're all in, very hard <laughs> to read. So he's going to meet me here today, actually, and hopefully he'll have his mother's death certificate as well. I can make copies of both, and we can move on. So best-case scenario, right, that's what will happen. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have. If there's no other discussion, we uh, need a I motion. Make, I make a motion we pay the bills. I second, second it. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? <clears throat> Item 
Item number nine, trustee reports. Any trustee reports? Nope. Item number 10 is adjourned at 1129. Cool. <laughs> hey, you got it this time. <laughs> Glad that wasn't well, my hand. You, you would have made a good thank, nun. Thank, thank, you. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank.